0: Remarkable boy. I do admire your courage. Oh! I think I'll eat your heart. welcome to episode 36 of Once Upon a Nightmare. I am your host Lorraine and I'm here to discuss the horrors of the world, be it fiction or real. This week we are going fictional with a movie of a franchise that has my favourite film of all time in it. I actually discuss it in my very first episode and that is of course the 1991 movie The Science of the Lambs. This episode though we are going back with a film that was made after Lambs, with spoilers of course, and that is Red Dragon. Two families killed a month apart in their homes. This wasn't some killing frenzy. These attacks were highly organized, the victims carefully chosen. This one is gonna go on and on. You wanna know how he's choosing them, don't you? I thought you might enjoy the challenge. Find out if you're smarter than the person I'm looking for. Then, by implication, you think you're smarter than I am. Since it was you who caught me. No, I know I'm not smarter than you. Then how did you catch me? You had... disadvantages. What disadvantages? You're insane. This is a very shy boy, Will. He'll be a bodybuilder, of course. Look for extensive tattooing and corrective surgery for the face. He is refining his methods. I don't think anybody knows you at all, dear. He is evolving. So it's true the Lecter is actually helping with your investigation. We mustn't judge too harshly, Will. Have you never felt a sudden rush of panic? Red Dragon was a prequel to The Science of the Lambs. The book was written by Thomas Harris back in 1981. In 2002, Ted Talley wrote the screenplay for Red Dragon, and it was directed by Brett Ratner. It's a 15 and just over two hours. It had a budget of around $78 million and made just under $210 million. It sees the return of the great Anthony Hopkins as Hannibal Lecter. We are also introduced to FBI agent Will Graham. He is played by Edward Norton, a forensic psychologist with a certain ability when catching killers. He reads them differently. A killer is on the loose and Graham is working with Lecter to try and figure out who it is and then realises that Lecter himself is up to no good. Lecter attacks Graham once he realises he is on to him and after the attack, Graham decides to leave the FBI. Once Lecter is incarcerated, another killer is on the loose and Graham then comes out of retirement and joins forces again with Lecter to try and catch this killer, known as the Tooth Fairy, a.k.a. Francis, played by Ralph Fiennes. It also stars Harvey Keitel as Jack Crawford, Emily Watson as Reba McLean, Mary Louise Parker as Molly Graham, Philip Seymour Hoffman as Freddie Louds, and Anthony Hild is back as creepy Dr. Frederick Chilton. Oh, and of course, the lovely Frankie Fazon is back as the orderly Barney. I did watch this film quite a few years ago, around the time it came out, and I wasn't overly fussed by it. But when I watched it recently, I hadn't really planned to. It's just, you know, when you're on Netflix and you're kind of looking for something to watch and it plays a little bit of the film? Well, it did it with this. So I was like, hmm, I can't be bothered to look any further. And I have to say, I'm glad I did. And while I did enjoy this movie, it isn't, of course, as good as Lambs. And I feel with this film, though, we do get a slightly different version of Lecture he hasn't been in prison as long as he had in Lambs, and you can tell he isn't, for use of a better term, he's not as graceful in this film. In Lambs, he's quite cool and collected, whereas here you can tell he's he's a bit pissed off, basically. He's pissed off that someone figured him out and caught him. He hasn't got over that yet. It is an impressive performance from Hopkins, as, you know, it would have been really easy for him to go back to his original characters of Lambs, but I don't think that would have worked, and he doesn't. And the accent is slightly different, I find here, And I feel like he has a lot less control over his emotions. We start with Lecter doing what he does best, apart from killing people. Well, he kind of has killed someone. He is cooking up a delicious meal. The fact that the meal is courtesy of a flute player that offended Lecter with his harsh tones while playing in an orchestra. You know, that's kind of by the by. These types of dinner parties wouldn't be for me. They're quite pretentious over the top. And of course, it's a table of... What appears to be quite shallow folk and they're kind of making fun of the fact that this flute player is missing and bringing it down to the fact that he had a bit of a bad night while playing. Lecter is having fun though as he sits and watches everyone enjoy the meal. They take it in bite by bite slowly and of course it's human flesh and he has this big smile on his face. Well it's not that big but he's kind of just like I'm liking this. I'm I'm enjoying watching them eat this not knowing what it is. We then get introduced to the relationship between Lecter and Will Graham. And it's quite quickly, as as always in Lecter's life, someone needs to, to pick his brain to try and solve the latest bout of murders. And the dynamic between these two is quite an interesting one. With Lecter, you always get the feeling he has kind of like no time for people. But with Will, he keeps him close. And also, you know, Will may be onto him. He needs to find out, while Will has this certain ability to track people like no other, This also does intrigue Lecter. And Will is very smart, and Lecter knows this. And, you know, he's probably keeping him close so he can, you know, find out how actual close he is to getting to who this killer is, protecting his own back. But unfortunately for Will and Lecter, it will be the demise for both of them. Lecter is obviously found out by Will, and he realizes the jig is up. And, of course, the only smart thing to do here is to brutally stab Will you know dinner dinner is needed and all that and Will then grabs these like um uh bow bow and arrows well the bows that go in the bow and arrow no the arrows that go in the bow and arrow and stabs him and then shoots him and granted what happened to both of them it should have ended their lives for them but you know they of course survive like one thing here that adds to how terrifying you know the lector is the lector we know is his expression when he's stabbing Will He's quite composed. He's got his shit together. And to me, that's always more terrifying than, well, not always, but the kind of over the top manic kill. When someone can keep it together so much when they're doing something like that. I know people view lecture films, they're kind of thriller crime, but let's face it, for me, these films are horror films. There's no other way to look at it in my eyes. And they're terrifying. As all the shit goes down, it's scary. And he barely breaks a sweat, and killing an FBI agent is it's not a smart thing to do. People are going to look for him, but it's Lecter. He didn't give a shit. So as we know, Lecter gets caught, and Will rides off into the sunset to fix boats and raise a family, but obviously not for long. And we then begin to hear more and more about the rise of this new killer, the Tooth Fairy. And when I was watching it, I couldn't help but make a comparison to the serial killer BTK, Bind, Torture, Kill, a.k.a. Dennis Rader. He's one I kind of stay away from. I know about him, but I try not to know, I don't revisit. And, you know, I <sighs> this guy's disgusting. But anyway, one common thread through these films you'll find is that Harris does draw from real-life killers. He did it with Lecter and Jane Gum in Lambs, and now he does it with the Tooth Fairy. Like like this new killer, BTK, he didn't discriminate either, whether you were a man, a woman, a child, or an animal. You weren't safe. No one was safe. And, you know, one thing that BTK did do, he went into people's homes and the homes are places you're supposed to feel safe within your own home. And that is what the Tooth Fairy does. The FBI knows that Will is the man for the job, the one to sort it out. So they take a trip down to Florida. This is where he is now. And his house is like over this beautiful ocean. He's got his wife, he's got his kids. Life is great, peaceful. And of course, Jack Crawford comes in to disturb this newfound peace that he's found. And You know, what we're hearing from Jack and the way they're both talking, it just doesn't match, obviously, the setting. You've got this beautiful setting and then they're talking about all the disgusting things that um, the Tooth Fairy has been up to. And, of course, Will being Will, he has to go back and help. People are dying and he feels that he might be able to save them. When Will gets back, we start then to see the real brutality of these murders, the actual settings of the murders. And we know a whole family was killed, and when we're in the bedroom of the parents, you can't help but take your eyes off of three kind of splashes of blood that are lined up against the wall. And this is the level this killer goes to to get what he wants. And it's something you can't imagine. These marks are where the heads of the children, you know, were placed. And they were sat there as he terrorised the mother. And the terror of the mother must have been on another level. The father has been killed. And, you know, you probably know that there's you're probably not going to get out of this alive. And the killer, he's so highly organised. Like, to do what he did would take a lot of work, a lot of watching, a lot of planning to actually get into the homes know their routine and to pull this off it's like a whole new level of twisted for me so now we know what we're dealing with here there's only one solution that's of course for will to meet with his old buddy mr hannibal Lecter. but before we do before these two meet we get to meet the joys piece of shit that is dr frederick chilton he is so different here like when he was with clarice before she was like taken down he was of course such a sleaze he's trying to charm her thinking he can call her pretty and she's just going to fall for it all and um, she of course turns him down and you know being the egocentric he is he basically runs to take her to see Lector she is speed walking to keep up you see them going down the, the the stairs and walking along and he's like going so fast because he just has no time for her now he doesn't want to know because she's turned him down but when we see him doing it with Will in Red Dragon it's like he's a groupie running after Will. He tries to appeal to him by kissing his ass to get what he wants. And obviously Will spent a lot of time around Lecter before he was caught. And he of course caught him. And Chilton wants, he wants Will to spill the tea man. He wants to publish something. He wants fame. And he thinks like between the two of them, they could create something that would get them that fame. That is a thing with Chilton. He's the worst kind of doctor as his interest is only in himself. His punishments to Lecter, they're I know Lecter's done some messed up things, but you can see with Chilton that he's cruel. He wants the punishments to be cruel. And especially when his ego takes a hit, he has to retaliate. And he's such a fucking child. He doesn't want to figure out Lecter to understand the mind of a madman, to try and learn from him. Maybe save future lives, maybe learn to track killers, future killers. He wants the fame. He wants to be the man who can say he figured out Lecter to say he figured him out not to get any good out of it he wants that status so after the embarrassing display from Chilton Will finally comes face to face with Lecter well I say face to face but Lecter can't be bothered to even stand up for Will and his head he's lying on the bed and his head is near the glass so he's not he's looking in the opposite direction but when Clarice uh, visits Lecter he's standing to attention waiting to greet her you know, he has, but he has no desire to make any sort of an effort with Will and I think this scene that comes after that, comes after that initial meeting, is like my favourite in the whole film. As it's something I think we rarely get to see Lecture do, he really wavers here. But this scene has him tied in all sorts of knots. And we watch him desperately trying to keep it together. Lecture hates, and I mean hates, that Will caught him. He can't stand the thought of someone getting the better of him someone outsmart in him what makes it more infuriating is will doesn't seem to care about all that the glory he has one agenda and that's to catch the bad guy he doesn't need the praise he doesn't even acknowledge when he's praised he doesn't need the recognition and this would play on Lecter even more will is trying to get Lecter to help him on a new case of course the tooth fairy so you know Lecter isn't going to give up his services that easily so Will again not given a shit plays to Lecter's ego, saying how smart he is. But Lecter can't let go of the fact that Will caught him. To Lecter, it feels that Will is saying almost that he is smarter than him, and that we can't have that. We cannot have that. Also, when he almost pleads with Will as to how he is, how he was caught, there is such desperation in his face. He needs to know, and it's not a look that I think we're used to seeing with Lecter. And when Will tells him this, I swear to God, this scene is amazing. When Will tells him um, how he got caught, he says that he had disadvantages. And Lecture replies, what disadvantages? And I swear, I thought he was going to cry. He could not believe what he was hearing. And that was torture. And Will even plays it down a bit still. When Will says the disadvantages was, you're insane. His face just fell and it said it all. And he just could not handle that. He couldn't handle Will having this kind of hold over him that Will doesn't even think he has. Will doesn't think he has a hold over him, but Lecter just cannot let this go. And Hopkins is amazing in the scene. When he says, what what disadvantages, it was so good. So Lecter quickly pulls it together. He needs to get the upper hand. He needs to, like, Will needs to know that Lecter's doing him some sort of favour by looking at these files. But Will, again, he doesn't give a shit. He just wants it done. And Will has a lot in common, which you can see as well. If you've ever looked at interviews or read anything by FBI profiler John Douglas, he was a character where it wasn't about him. He just did what he did to get the job done. He worked with a lot of well-known serial killers. He would say things that shocked people but it got him what he needed it wasn't about him it was about getting the information you need and hopefully figure these guys out and there's a lot you can see that um Harris actually took a lot from Douglas with this role lecter does look at the files and again in true lecter form he doesn't break a sweat as he is going over the details cool as a cucumber as the insufferable know-it-all that he is he stares at Will as he tells him all he knows and he doesn't even blink i literally sat and watched And there was a slight half-blink, but those eyes, so creepy. They were creepy, they were wide open. And while his performance and Norton's is amazing, I am a fan of Norton, this film does have one little thing missing, and that is, of course, the Jonathan Demme vibe. Don't get me wrong, we do get the creepiness, but the feeling they are talking to you, looking at you in a room like that of Lambs, and the Jonathan Demme style of directing, we we don't really get that here. But it's just a minor thing. But also, Lecter in this, he still not happy he needs to prod and poke a little bit more at will he needs to get the upper hand even more if you will he taunts him by discussing his family a lot asking for his number and mentioning their names will obviously does not want to engage about his family he doesn't want him to know anything about them but lector being lector he of course finds a way to get the information and this is so bizarre to me how he gets the information that he needs about will's family now i was born in the 70s so we were all about the landline But honestly, seriously, how did he get through to that woman by the phone and get all that info? He did this. There was no thing to dial or numbers. And he did this like tapping thing that brings you to an operator to patch you through. And from what I recall, we would call an operator and ask for a phone number. And I think they would say to you, would you like me to put you through? Which I think is probably what happened here. But I just don't know how he initially did that. So, you know, of course, that was bad enough. But he's talking to that woman and he actually talks her into giving the details of Will's family that girl should be fired anyway obviously luckily enough for Will he finds all this out through these coded messages in a paper that are being sent so like in the personals and this is being sent between Francis and Lecter and uh this then starts to really lead us on to Francis and we get to see who he is how he's willing to do some of Lecter's bidding and as mentioned, this was played by Ralph Fiennes, and he does such a great job here. We all know what a great actor he is, so this was great cast- casting. While we know what Francis is when it comes to his brutal method of killing, we saw that when Will went and looked on the sites of the murders, we also see a very different side to him that could be confusing to a viewer. In general, when we hear about how lovely a serial killer was, when behind it all they are brutally murdering people, it can be hard to get your head around. How can someone do something so evil and then be such a nice guy, the great dad or husband? Yet Francis, he is a bit odd, but odd doesn't mean homicidal maniac. We see this side of him when we meet Reba. Reba is blind and maybe that helps a bit with Francis as he has an issue with how he looks. He has a cleft lip. Reba sees him for him and not what he deems to be a disfigurement, something unpleasant to look at, which it isn't, but we all have our own insecurities. Plus, Francis was not given the best start in life. He was living with his grandmother, who was a complete and utter sadistic bitch. She was so evil and so mean that the lad, he didn't stand a chance. And this is the issue when reading about serial killers, just trying to see the evil man or woman in front of you, but equally then seeing them as a child as they're severely mistreated. Now, I know the whole argument, what people say, you know, when not all go on to commit heinous crimes if they suffered a traumatic childhood. And while that is correct, some professionals do actually believe that the killers of the likes of your Edmund Kempers, you know, had he had a different life, a different mother or a mother, you know, a mother that treated him well, he wouldn't have done what he did. I mean, warn us, they say, had things been different for her basically had someone cared for her one person they probably wouldn't have gone on and done what they've done but some people don't get a chance and I guess we can never truly 100% know if they would have gone on and done it had they have a love and childhood but by the time they become an adult that sympathy that we have I suppose it goes but it is something that I struggle with like do we hate the adult they have become or do we feel for the child that never got to be a child So with Francis, he is a character that I find myself, you know, when you look back to his childhood, you find yourself feeling sorry for him, but I know we shouldn't because he's doing all these horrible things. Francis's grandmother focused on his genitals, saying things like, "Um, hold it out, I'll cut it off, telling him he's disgusting. You know, she was disgusted in him and to go for such a personal place on a person, growing up is confusing enough And especially for a child, and your body is changing and certain feelings that come with that. Let's be honest, as you get older, certain areas are private. Another serial killer I kind of tied in with this was the serial killer, Gary Ridgway. He endured years and years of abuse from his mother, who would wash his genitals. Way long after it was appropriate to do so. He had an issue with bed wetting, it was disgusting to her, you know, and she would scrub him really aggressively. And um, his feelings toward his mother then became confusing to him, to say the least, because he was then sexually attracted to her. And Francis endured similar humiliating experiences. And, well, obviously it had an impact on him. When he is with Reba, though, alone, after he has given her a lift home, she's standing at a bus stop waiting, he passes by, do you want a lift, she goes in, all is great. But we do wonder, is he going to strike? But part of me was like, he's going to, the other part was no, because it wouldn't make any sense. She's not like his target audience, if you will. Also, she's kind to him. She treats him like a human being. She sees him, the good in him. I don't feel he acts with her, she doesn't want pity, she's blind, she doesn't want pity people to pity her, and he doesn't. He's like, I, I don't have pity. Is that he doesn't have pity for her because he sees her too, or he just doesn't have pity? I think it's her. They are, they're good together. But, of course, there are voices in in his head telling him he can't have her, to kill her, but he doesn't want to do it. And then he does something, which, again, is a very strange characteristic for a serial killer to have, he becomes cruel to be kind. You hear him saying things like talking to a picture. You can't have her. And this again shows us that he has a different side to him. And again, your brain goes to a different place. You're like, if he was truly evil, why would he care? Why would he spare her? Like what he did to those families, the children was on a, a whole new level of evil. But then we see him as this caring man towards this woman and it makes no sense. It just doesn't fit. And after... Being confused by the actions of Francis, you then get confused by your feelings for another character. And that is a truly despicable one. And if it's possible, I dislike him the most. And he doesn't kill people, but he does destroy lives. And that is Loud. He is played by Hoffman and he has such great casting. The casting, obviously, in general is great. And they really struck gold with this bunch. But Loud, he's the worst kind of reporter. The one with no shame. The one with no feelings or regards for anyone but himself. And, of course, he's the one that justifies what he does in his head. You know, the ones that, oh, you've got to do whatever you want to get the story. You know, that kind of bullshit mentality. And, obviously, this kind of paparazzi style of reporting, not a fan of. I don't really think anyone is. But with Francis, he has something going on there. There is some sort of emotion at times. Granted, he's an evil killer, but at times you, strangely, can feel for him. And I know that sounds weird, and I'm aware of that. But with Loud, there is nothing there. He has not got one Ounce of compassion, and this really shows in the scene between him, Jack, and Will. So Jack and Will have to, you know, a plan to try and get Francis out to catch him. And they use Loud to tell a story. He writes for this paper magazine thing called Tatler. And he sat there getting all these grisly details, and there's nothing there. He has nothing going on behind those eyes. He is dismissive of everything. As we see him write what he's being told, he looks a mess, like he never sleeps. He has this shitty little notepad and kind of mumbles when he talks. He doesn't have any tone to his voice at all. And then he just gets up and leaves. And he's so disconnected from reality. He has no real purpose, just going through the motions. And he's really not a likable character. He barely makes eye contact with him. He's just kind of doing, like he's just a disgusting character. But of course, this changes when it comes to saving his own life. All of a sudden, there's a bit more going on there. So he writes this article, Francis isn't happy, and he kidnaps him. Now, I get that we will do and say what we think will help to save our lives if we were in this situation, but he is really smart here because he hasn't actually seen what Francis looks like, and he is refusing to look at him. He's stuck in this old wheelchair, like he's been glued to it. But he doesn't want to look at Francis because, obviously, if you haven't seen the killer, they might let you go because you can't identify them. But Francis isn't having it. Obviously, he is planning on killing them because he wants an audience. He wants to show himself off. Now, the article that he wrote was lies and not complimentary at all for Francis. And that's not good. Now he wants to be seen and Loud will witness Francis in all his glory. And this is when we see that massive tattoo that basically covers all the back of him. And this is based on William Blake's painting, The Great Dragon and The Woman Clothed in Sun. And Francis has become obsessed with this painting. It has this power and this strength behind it. This alternate personality is telling Francis he has to kill. But it is innocent people he obviously goes for. It's pretty scary as certain parts of it moves, as he moves his body in certain ways. And I'll be honest, I didn't think... I didn't personally think he was going to kill Loud. Um, and because it doesn't fit. Again, he's not his target audience. And as Will says, Loud was a bonus. But he does kill him, but he has shown him this big tattoo. And that whole that I think that scene is the whole scene in general is, is terrifying because You see Francis loving being on display. He finally gets to say who he is. And there's one bit he goes, you see, you see. And I was just like, no, that that scene is pretty terrifying. But it was so good. But the thing is, when Loud is actually killed, nobody gives a shit. The FBI's response was basically like, oh, it's happened. You know, we have to move on. They They were basically... They just, no one cared. See, if you act like a bastard to get what you want, when when it comes to the end, there's no one there to miss you. So is it really worth being that person? I think this is where, though, after this moment, because he's kind of shown himself, maybe he liked the fact that someone saw him, you know, and we start to see Francis kind of unravel, unravel for use of a better term. He has met Reba, who has changed him, given him feelings he didn't know he had or was probably capable of. And he feels that she has made him weak. And, you know, he has also killed Loud. And that wasn't what it was about. Then he goes to this museum to get this 200-year-old picture of a dragon. And here, firstly, the attention to the picture could raise some red flags. And then not only does he, like, batter some poor museum lady over the head, he then proceeds to eat this really old painting. And then another worker comes in who he gets attacked he's losing control, but he's losing control in public, so he has to be you know he's been so careful up until now but now he's just like letting all see but destroying the picture to him was destroying the dragon you know in in his mind destroying that alter ego he could protect Reba in that way and he wants to be better be you know because of her he doesn't want Reba to die. I almost feel like if he had met Reba before all this happened he might have had a normal life, but unfortunately for Reba. She kind of will succumb to the crazy ways of Frances, nearly. But to be fair to this girl, she is very quick thinking and that saves her life. He has brought her back to the house and it's going on fire and she knows she's in danger and she recalls certain things from when she was there before to help her get out. But he's definitely given off that vibe that I'm going to kill you. But, you know, he doesn't. He turns the gun on himself and shoots himself. Well, we think it's him. But actually, it's this other character called Ralph. And he is played by Frank Wally. He's in a really good film called uh, *Swimming with Sharks, by the way. Such a good film. Anyway, Ralph is a bit of a non-character and he's a real shit, if I'm completely honest. He just wants to sleep with Reba and he does that thing that people do when they're trying to look like they have your best interest at heart when really all they want to do is shag you. He's the man who listens. He advises you. Everything he does is to try and make himself look like the better option. And of course Francis Francis sees him here and he's not happy about that. So of course the only logical thing to do is kill him. And it's quite, it's quite brutal. He literally walks up, he sees him and shoots him. It just, straight in the forehead. So it soon becomes clear to all that Francis actually isn't dead. That the body in the house that he shot was Ralph. So... The bullet went straight into the face, and it kind of shows the shot of it, and look, the whole face is nearly gone. It was pretty gross, but then poor Reba, as she's trying to, <laughs> to feel around for things, she checks, and her hand goes straight in it. It's Pretty disgusting. And Francis, of course, now knows eventually he's going to be found out, because they do the autopsy, and it shows that it wasn't him, and he just thinks, do you know what, I'm just going to go for it, and he goes for all his family. And what happened to him as a child will actually be his downfall, and that is what gets him killed. It makes him hesitate. The knife he has, it makes him lower it just slightly. So as he takes Will's son hostage, he, you know, Will uses this against him. Francis has a knife pressed to Will's son's face and he expects Will to panic, obviously, to try and save his son, to be like, you know, trying to get him away. But he takes a bit of a different route. Will starts to yell at his son. He demeans him because he's wet himself. And this makes Francis feel for... The young boy, as he believes that this child is now enduring the same abuse that he did when he was young, but this gives will a chance to get the upper hand because of how Francis you can tell he 's really shocked by this, and of course, this means Francis getting killed, and as they 're all in the house it 's an absolute mess. will has been shot the Molly has then shot Francis again to make sure he 's dead the little boy's okay. It cuts to them on a boat. So obviously Will has said to himself, enough, I'm, I'm done. Um, and so they're on this boat and he Lecter, of course, has to get one last word in and he writes him a letter. And, you know, as I said, we don't see much of Lecter in the second part of this film, but of course he has to pop up. He can't let go. So he sends this letter and then it just leads us into Chilton talking to Lecter this is how we get into lambs, because Lecter is being told he has a visitor, you know, and of course, Chilton has to go on about how good looking she is. And then that is when, obviously, Lecter will soon meet Clarice. And that is my little take on Red Dragon. I would I would highly recommend you go see it if you haven't. I haven't watched Hannibal in a long time or the other one. The name Hannibal Rising. I can't remember those two. So I might take a wee We visit back and watch them. Um, But if you're looking for something a little less murder, uh, here's a message from Chance Whitmore. He is the host of Strive, Seek and Find podcast. Hey, podcast land. This is Chance Whitmore of the Strive, Seek, Find podcast, home of personal growth and development wrapped in personal anecdotes and real-world solutions alongside sometimes amusing stories. Our goal is to find a better way. Encouraging all of us to keep seeking our own brilliant futures. You can find strive Seek Find on Monday. Wherever you find your podcast, check it out after you've listened to this show. So obviously, go check him out. I've heard his podcast before; it's great. And you can find him on the social medias, and obviously give him some stars and rate and review on iTunes. Also, I'd like to say thanks for listening to this episode, and don't forget to rate and review on iTunes. I'm Pod Chaser. Sorry for me. Um, but if you want some more updates reviews behind the scenes you can follow me on instagram as once upon a nightmare podcast as twitter and the nightmare pod letterbox as a nightmare pod which i keep forgetting to update but i must facebook as once upon a nightmare or email me as once upon a pod at gmail.com and i'd like to say thank you for listening and i will chat to you again very soon bye